This is Ephesians 6, 18 through 24. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that you also may know about my circumstances, how I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. And I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us, and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. Let's pray. Father, you are very good. Uh, you give strength to those in need, Father. And I pray for Tom this morning. I know his week has been long, and uh, he's, he's under a big load right now. Father, your strength is perfected in weakness. So many times when uh, my dear brother has, uh, has been under the load, he's come up, and we have been so blessed by the words you've given him. So I pray that you would care for your body in that way today, Father. You're very good. Close out this book, this letter, Father, in a way that wraps it up and puts it in people's hearts and our minds and our memories. And we remember the great blessings that we have and how we then should live. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Good morning. We are actually in the last passage of Ephesians this morning. But it's not the last message. <laughs> next, uh, next Sunday we're going to do uh, a recap. We're going to walk back through the book and look at some of the, the big takeaways from this amazing, amazing epistle. And then the following Sunday, uh, March 31st, we're going to let you guys share some of the things that God has impressed on your hearts from this, our study together in this this beautiful letter of Paul to the Ephesians and the saints in Asia Minor. Um, for me, this is one of the most powerful letters, one of the most powerful books in the Bible in terms of its impact on how we actually live. And, and I pray that uh, this has been an enlightening study for you guys. So the way, uh, I'll, at the very end of this message, I will explain a little bit how it's going to work on uh, the 31st, two Sundays from now. This morning, Paul wraps up this powerful epistle and he gives us some of the most practical instruction that, that we will encounter anywhere in the Bible. And yet, I have to tell you that the way many people receive this instruction is they see it as sort of secondary, sort of a, a peripheral matter. But this is where the how is presented to us. The Apostle Paul started this last section of the letter in verse 10, he gave us a big, very all-encompassing command to be strong in the Lord. He said, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And then he followed that, that huge command to be strong with God's own strength with a series of subordinate commands. And those commands then, they sort of reveal to us or expand on the what. What it is that God is commanding us to do when He says be strong in His strength. He tells us to 
to take up and to put on and to receive His own full armor. And as we saw, we looked at numerous Old Testament passages and we saw that the armor that we that we take up and put on is the armor of Christ. It's the armor that belonged to the promised Messiah and that was spoken of in the Old Testament. His truth as the belt around our waist. His righteousness as our breastplate. His Gospel as our traveling shoes. His salvation as our helmet. His Word as our sword. And then right in the middle of that list, Paul says, in addition to all, take up the shield of faith by which you may extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. It's our trust in in Jesus as our real warrior. He's the one who gains the victory over our enemy, not us. We stand firm in His strength. We resist the wiles of Satan. He's the one who does the vanquishing. And that's huge. We're not in this world to silence the enemies of God. We're here to stand firm on the truth of Jesus Christ and in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the what. That's what we are to do. Now, is there anybody here who struggles a little bit with how to do that? We see the what and we see all these metaphors of armor and we say, this looks great. I want to do that. And beloved, our passage this morning is about the how. And I think that should at least tweak our attention. We should all care to know how to do this. Paul gives us the how in the form of two instrumental participles. Don't worry about the linguistics. The point behind the word instrumental is that they explain instrumentality. They explain the means, the how, for taking up and putting on the strength of God Himself. Those two participles are praying and being vigilant. Praying and being vigilant. I'm going to give you my translation of verse 18. And this is, it's not anything weird. It's very close to the English Standard Version, ESV. With all prayer and petition, praying at all times in the Spirit, and toward that same end, that end of praying at all times in the Spirit, being vigilant with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Now you'll notice in that one verse, Paul uses the word all four times. (laughs) He, He says all prayer at all times with all perseverance for all the saints. Let me ask you, does it sound like Paul expects that this will be a big part of our daily lives? All the time. In all things. Beloved, prayer is how we put on God's strength. And there is nothing more practical than this instruction. How many of us tend to, and I won't ask for a show of hands, how many of you tend to think that prayer is sort of a last recourse? Or it's kind of down there somewhere, but but when it comes to actually doing what God requires of us, it's it's not all that high on on the list. You know where God puts it on the list? At the very top. At the very top. 
He says, you want to appropriate my strength? You want to live the Christian life in my power? There's only one way to do it. My children. And that's prayer. There are not two assignments in in this verse. There's one. Right in the middle of the two parallel halves of this verse is the phrase, toward the same end. That means that that Paul is when he said when he comes around to the second half of that he's not saying I'm starting a new theme. He's saying I'm talking about the exact same thing. And that's important too. Now we're going to we're going to look at this uh, kind of break it down piece by piece. First, he says with all prayer and petition praying at all times in the spirit. The word that's translated prayer it means prayer in sort of the general sense. And that can be all kinds of categories of prayer. Praise, adoration, thanksgiving, confession, petition, which is making requests of God. The second word focuses on the idea of making requests of God. And Paul puts that second and then picks it up again in the second half of the verse. And in the second half of the verse, that's the only kind of prayer that he mentions is petition. That too is important. When he says praying at all times in the Spirit, there are many Christians who have a lot of confusion about what that means. They think that that, that praying in the Spirit is some kind of a mystical, sort of uncommon Christian experience that maybe only some Christians get to, get to actually uh, take advantage of. But let me ask you this. When, when Paul earlier in the book in chapter 5 said, be filled with the Spirit, and then he followed that, by the way, with five instrumental participles that explain the how. Was it mystical? Was it, was it kind of out there and hard to lay hold of? Well, what did he say? He said, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That's the how. It's not mysterious. It's about how we do life in the body of Christ. How we treat each other as the beloved of God. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Because see, Ephesians is, is overwhelmingly corporate in nature. It's about what God is doing with His church. Not with Keith Johnson, not with Ken Hillard. With His church. With the body of Christ. And so, he's talking about filling His church with Christ and with His Spirit. And that's what he's doing here. He says, praying at all times in the Spirit. And that means praying with the priorities of the Holy Spirit, furthering the agenda of the Holy Spirit, doing it on God's terms. And where does he go with that? Well, he goes to the body. In the second half, he says, toward that same end, praying at all times in the Spirit, be vigilant, being vigilant with all perseverance, prayer or in petition for all the saints. 
Now, uh, let's, let's think about this. Praying for what? What kinds of petitions, what kinds of requests are we supposed to, to offer up to God for all the saints? Well, you think maybe Paul has already given us a bunch of hints in that regard in this letter? You see, this letter has several prayers in it. And if you look at the content of those prayers starting in chapter 1, those prayers are all about our calling and about us, God making us aware of that calling so that we live and walk in a manner worthy of it. Now, I've said several times in this study that, that we tend to think of calling as what we're to do, but that's not how Paul handles the word. Calling is whose we are and what we have been given in Christ. Our calling is the lavish, outrageous grace of God poured out upon us like a waterfall so that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And on the basis of that calling, he says, walk in a manner worthy of that. Walk in a manner that reflects that. Walk in a manner that is powered by that calling. Our calling is our supply line for our commission. Chapters one through three is the calling. Chapters four through six is the commission. I mentioned early in the early in this series, there's one imperative, one formal imperative in the first three chapters, and fifty in the second three chapters. What is it that we're to pray for? In chapter one, Paul offers up a prayer of praise to God first for blessing us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he talks all about what we've received in Christ. And the first chapter, verses 3 through 13 is this, this amazing run-on sentence that's completely untamable. It's just beautiful in its power. And then after that, Paul prays a prayer. And in that prayer, he asks God to enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we will know three things. What is the hope of His calling? What, is, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe? And He keeps raising the theme of that power all through the rest of this letter. In chapter 3, after talking about how God has taken Jews and Gentiles, broken down every dividing wall, and made us all into one new man in Christ, he then prays again. He bows his knees before the Father. And what does he ask? He asks that we would be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. Not something we have to go get, but a power who has already been given so that we will what? So that being rooted and grounded in love, we will comprehend together with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and we will know the love of God that surpasses knowing. See, he's saying, he's saying yet again, Father, Father, let your church know what they have been given in Christ. Cause them to know how outrageously wealthy they are. Cause them to know how astonishingly well it is with their souls every second of every day for all eternity. Because the walk that is worthy of the calling depends on knowing the calling. And so, those are the kinds of prayers, beloved, that Paul prays for the saints. You think maybe those are the kinds of prayers that we should be praying for the saints? 
I've asked this a couple of times in this series, and I'll ask it again. And I pray, beloved, that we will not walk away from our study of Ephesians without this question haunting us, invading our thoughts, searing into our conscience. And that is, do we pray for one another the way Paul prays for us? What are our prayers mostly about? They're about asking God for temporary exemptions from the curse. And and what is Paul praying for us about? He's praying for us about things that the curse can't touch. Ever. He's praying for us about the wealth that we possess through our union with Jesus Christ that can't be touched by anything that happens to us during this earthly life. Ever. Why are we not praying those things for one another? Why, if, if 90% of our prayers are about those temporary exemptions from the curse and 10% have something to do with whose we are and what we have been given in Christ and what that implies for how we walk, do you think maybe this is a little lopsided? We're supposed to get this, beloved. Our prayer life is not supposed to be the same after God has confronted us with these truths. We are to pray that every member individually of the body may be filled up to all the fullness of God so that the body of Christ may grow up as one new man into the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. See, God fills up individual believers with His indwelling Spirit in order to fill up His church with Christ so that His church will overflow Christ into, the, into this lost world that surrounds us and the kingdom of our Savior will grow and grow and grow. And what happens instead is we become, we become very internally focused and we become all about our needs for today and we're not overflowing anything because we're acting like paupers when we're children of the King of Kings. Paul says to be vigilant with all perseverance and petition for the saints. And I, I, I have to say that the vigilance <laughs> means persevering. The, the vigilance is in the form of the perseverance. If, beloved, if you are praying all the time, and that, and it doesn't mean that you don't do your, your job that makes your income. It doesn't mean you stop taking care of your kids and your wife. It means your life is a continual conversation with the living God. And if in that conversation you were, you are continually, with perseverance, lifting up your fellow saints and asking these kinds of things for them, you know what happens to your shields? They're always up. You are, you are walking your, that perseverance is vigilance. It keeps you alert. It keeps you awake. It keeps you realizing that we're in a battle and that you wake up every morning behind enemy lines and you cannot drop your guard. Prayer, prayer is the single most critical thing that you do to remain vigilant as a Christian. The single most important thing that you do. Prayer keeps us in the supply line of our calling. 
I've said several times, our, our calling is the supply line for our commission. Everything, whose we are and what we've been given in Christ, that extravagant wealth, that's what drives and propels us to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. And as soon as you somehow break that supply line, then the commission starts to, starts to crater. It starts to fall apart. And, uh, and so where does prayer figure, figure into that whole supply line thing? Prayer keeps us in the supply chain. It keeps us in the, in the path. In uh, World War II in the European theater, you guys know I'm a war, uh, I love to study about wars, uh, about war, uh, real stories about the war. The, uh, especially World War II in Vietnam. But in World War II, there was this, uh, this, it was one of the Army Corps, uh, it was uh, three divisions of the U.S. Army, about 45,000 men who were part of Patton's Third Army. They were under the command of a good old boy from Belton, Texas named General Walton Walker. And after the Normandy invasion in northern France, they landed a ridiculous amount of material and ammunition and food and people and tanks. And these three divisions took off and they, they ran a route throughout the summer of 1944 into the fall of 1944 into the very harsh winter of 1944 and 45. And that route was headed like a beeline to the German border. And they got to the Rhine River and they crossed the Rhine River into Germany in March of 1945 and within a month the war was functionally over and was officially declared over the next month in May. What do you think would have happened if a couple of battalions of those soldiers had gone they'd strayed too far north or south of that supply line. See, that line was unbroken throughout the entire European campaign. The Germans tried to break it every possible way. What would happen if those soldiers drifted too far north or south of that, of that supply line? Well, let's see, they'd run out of food. They'd run out of ammunition. They'd run out of supplies. They'd run out of repair parts for their tanks and artillery and the Germans would see to it that they died. You know what prayer does, beloved? Prayer stops us from drifting and brings us back. Prayer is our, is our GPS. It's our compass. It tells us where to be. It tells us where our wealth is. And it just keeps bringing us back. We all tend to drift. We all tend to drift. But prayer brings us back. Prayer focuses our minds. It focuses our hearts. It, it, if, if you pray very much, you know it's kind of hard to lie to God while you're talking to Him. It's kind of hard to sustain your silly assertions that, drive, that, that somehow kind of randomly drive the way you function during the day when you stop and you actually talk to the living God. And so when we pray, especially when we pray in keeping with the kinds of prayers that we find in this book, it pulls us right back to that supply line and, we, and our calling is firmly in mind. We know whose we are. We know what we've been given. We know that we do not live from a place of weakness. We live from a place of 
miraculous, supernatural strength, the very strength of the living God given to us, the armor of Christ given to us. That's what prayer does. When Jesus said when you pray, you're not telling God what you need. He knows what you need. God is straightening you out. You are coming to the throne of grace and God is reminding you the very act of speaking to God and counting as true the things that God declares to be true, which are the greatest prayers of all, it puts you back on the supply line. This is huge, guys. If you want to find the very practical instruments by which you live the Christian life, please don't walk out of here this morning and think that prayer isn't right at the very top of that list. The very top. Prayer connects us with the supply line. It also connects us with the army. You'll notice how how very pervasively Paul's prayers are about the body of Christ. And that's what he tells us. He says, be vigilant in persevering prayer for all the saints. That doesn't mean just the saints in this little flock. It means the saints all over the world. First Peter 5, Peter talks about Satan prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And then he says, he says all the saints everywhere are suffering the same kinds of things and they're in the same battle that we are. We need to be lifting them up. We have plenty to pray about. In verses 19 and 20, Paul presents a prayer request for himself. And by the way, the word pray, the verb, is not in verse 19. It's borrowed from verse 18. Which is really cool because that means, again, he's not changing the thought. He's not, he's not turning to a new theme. He says, praying at all times in the Spirit, being vigilant in persevering prayer for all the saints, and praying for me. Praying for me. On my behalf, that utterance that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the Gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul's saying, here's how you can pray for me in keeping with everything I just told you about praying for all the saints. And he asks for two things that he knows he can get only from God. Words and boldness. Words and boldness. And what's really cool is he's asking us to pray that he, he's asking the saints at Ephesus to pray that he, Paul, will take up two pieces of the armor that he's just been talking about. The sword, the rhema, the spoken word of God, and those good news shoes that we talked about. The traveling shoes of the Gospel. The boldness to go somewhere with the Gospel. To carry it to other people, not to sit on it. See, Paul's just he's just saying to them, the stuff I just asked you to pray for all the saints, pray that for me too. And it's, it's really cool because Paul shows great humility here. He puts himself in the same trenches as the rest of us. He's just another man who is as utterly dependent on Christ as we are. And so he says, pray for me the way I'm telling you to pray for each other. 
And you notice there's a couple of things he doesn't ask the saints to pray for him about. He does not ask them to pray for his release. Paul wrote this during a time when he was under house imprisonment in Rome, not sure if he was going to live through it. He lived through it the first time. The second time he lost his head. But he didn't pray for his release. He said, pray, pray that I will take up the armor that will make me a good ambassador for Christ. Again, I ask you, does that sound like the prayer requests that we make of each other? I'm not saying that we shouldn't ask people to pray for us in our infirmity and the struggles of this life, but but even those prayers, beloved, should focus on God's mission and on our calling. And if you start, if you just apply a little of that marvelous creativity that God gave you, that's part of common grace, if you apply a little bit of that creativity to praying that way, even when you're asking about temporal things, it'll change the way you pray. You won't say just, you won't say only, pray that I will be healed of this illness. You will say, pray that in the midst of this illness, that the wealth that God has lavished upon me will be made apparent. That Christ Himself will be made apparent through me. It's a different way of praying. Another thing that Paul does not pray for, he does not say pray that God will save a whole bunch of people through me. He says, pray that I will have the words and the boldness to make the Gospel known. What God does with that is God's business. Think about this for a minute. If if the number of converts and disciples that you got to see firsthand through your ministry in your life was the basis by which God assesses your success in the Christian life, Paul would have had a higher grade than Jesus. And that's not how it works. What God cares about is faithfulness. What God cares about is how dependent you are on Jesus. Beloved, make your prayers about your dependence and your brothers' and sisters' dependence on, on God, on His strength, His armor, His enablement, His Spirit. He is the only supply, the only sufficiency that we will ever have and that we will ever need. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6, we are not adequate in ourselves to consider anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God who made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Where does your success in the Christian life come from? Entirely from Christ. And not at all from you. That's very freeing. What about uh, prayers for the other stuff? In verses 21 and 22, Paul he explains that the reason he sent Tychicus to the Ephesians, probably bearing this letter, was he says it twice so that you will know about my circumstance. You'll know what's going on with me. And then how much detail does he provide about his circumstance? None. It doesn't mean it's not important. It means... He took that offline. And the prayers about his temporal concerns, 
you know, the, the daily bread stuff. He let that be something that was discussed with, between Tychicus and probably people that were, that he knew pretty well in Ephesus, not broadcast to the whole community of the saints. Because what he wanted broadcast to the whole community of the saints were the kinds of prayers, the kind of prayer requests that he's been talking about throughout this letter. You with me? There's a, it's about God's priorities in prayer. How does that match up with our priorities? Once again, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. And that was right after He said, ask God for your daily bread. See, God takes care of the daily bread stuff for birds and weeds. So He's going to take care of that stuff for you. That's not what you need to major in when you pray. There's a concluding blessing in verses 23 and 24. And it includes peace and grace and love and faith. Faith, hope, and love are the three great Christian attributes that Paul talks about throughout his letters. Peace and grace are part of every salutation and every benediction and every letter. Essentially, you're going to find them in the first few verses and the last few verses of each letter. The peace that that he's talking about, the grace that he's talking about, they don't come from Paul. So this is a prayer. He's saying, God, grant your peace, grant your grace. And he actually says that. He says, he says, peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where all this comes from. The peace that we enjoy is the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. The peace that we enjoy is the peace that was won for us in our relationship with God by Jesus Christ when He died in our place on the cross and paid the debt we could never pay. The debt, the eternal debt of our sin that left us condemned apart from the blood of Christ. That's where our peace comes from. Having been justified, we now have peace with God. Love with faith is, is that's a beautiful statement. He says that comes from God too. It reminds me of 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 16, where, where John says, We have come to know and have believed the love that God has for us. Love with faith. We have come to know and have believed the love that God has for us. And again, Paul is he's saying, May God cause you to know whose you are, and what you have been given in Christ. And then he ends this this amazing epistle right where he started with the blessing of grace. Grace be to all of those who love our Lord Jesus with the love incorruptible, untouchable, unassailable. And where does that love, where does our love for Christ come from? We love because He first loved us. Our love for Christ is a response to the extravagant, outrageous love and grace of God that has been poured out upon us like a waterfall in Jesus Christ. The undeserved, outrageous grace of God has been the theme of this letter from the very beginning. The amazing grace that is ours entirely in 
through and because of our union with Jesus Christ that we didn't make happen. We deserved hell. And God gave us Christ. That outrageous grace that has made the unfathomable riches of Christ our birthright for all eternity. Beloved, uh, I pray, we'll talk about this next week too, but I pray that that you will never again think of yourself as poor or weak or useless. Because those are all denials of the promises that God shouts from the mountaintops at us in this, in this marvelous letter. You are a son. If you have faith in Jesus Christ as your one and only Savior, you are a an adopted son of the living God, an adopted daughter of the living God. And the power that belongs to you is the power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated Him above every authority in heaven and on earth. Every dominion, every name, every power, the very power that raised Christ from the dead is yours. You are not poor. You are not weak. You are not useless. You're a child of the living God. This grace compels us by its very beauty and power to love each other as outrageously as we have been loved by Christ. Grace be with all of those who love the Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible.